0: Hello and welcome to a Brave Space podcast with Dr. Katherine Meeks. I'm your host, Chelsea Glasgow. And as promised, uh, we have a special guest who's come back to visit us and chat with us. Dr. Jennifer Gander, how are you? Hi, it's nice to be back. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for having me and inviting me back one more time. Of course. Listen, we're looking forward to part two of this rich conversation. And Dr. Meeks, how are you?
1: I'm doing well and so excited that we are continuing to talk about this whole business of mental health because it's so, so dear to my heart. And I feel so evangelistic about it because I think um, we have got to have more. Uh, Community awareness and education around this and services for people. And so it's just a wonderful honor for us to have this chance to put this out in the public in this way and in any other ways that we can as well.
0: For sure. For sure. Well, listen, we'll jump right into it. As you guys may or may not know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. May is also Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so please visit our website, centerforracialhealing.org, to stay in the know with Asian American resources. But again, today we are continuing our previous conversation on the relationship between mental health and physical health. So, again, we're going to jump right into it, and I want to talk about um, the intersections between mental health and physical health, especially as it regards um, to race. So, Dr. Means, can you start to tackle this for us? Um, What do you think is the intersection between mental health and physical health when it comes to race?
1: Well, I think there's a, there, we're starting to make that case more carefully these days with the conversations about mental health, racism as a public health crisis. I think that that's bringing that up to a different level, a level that it should have been at a long time ago. And clearly, people who are struggling on the margins with because of race but even poverty and other things have a different set of stressors I think everybody living on the planet has a stressor about something but if you then have race and other kinds of issues around that then it just it just in, uh impacts you even more specifically and then th- and there's a whole whole way in which uh people who are oppressed try to figure out how to look like they're okay. And so they don't necessarily find it easy to admit that they can't make it. They can't handle it. You know, in the mm-hmm. African-American community, we are very reticent to admit to internalized oppression issues because we want to be well, we want to be okay. And we want to proclaim ourselves as okay. And, and that mitigates ag- against being able to confess not being okay. And so uh, how as we move forward, Chelsea and Jennifer, I think we have to work on creating space for people as we said in the in the last segment to admit to not being okay and have a community that says, but you're okay because you're in this community and we embrace you, we hold you, we you, you being held up here, we support you. We will help you find what you need, and that's got to happen in terms of the, the the various racial groups as they as we try to navigate our way toward liberation.
0: For sure, um, and you know, as we discuss this, I'm thinking of the healthcare industry, and I'm wondering if the healthcare industry is understanding of these differences. I'm also. Um, wondering, how is the healthcare industry approaching uh, a holistic approach to mental health? I know in our last episode, Dr. Jennifer, you really talked about um, the importance of a holistic approach because of the relationship between mental health and physical health. And so has the healthcare industry addressed any of these um, disparities? Have they, what type of issues and within regarding to policy um, have you seen and what, are the areas of improvement?
2: I think that is a great question. Um, I think the healthcare industry is trying uh, to address these issues and treat the patient more holistically um, and understand, you know, that mental and physical health go hand in hand. Um, I think there's still a long way to go and there's still a lot of room for improvement. And I think unfortunately, within the healthcare industry, you see that there are some healthcare institutions that are getting it right and some that are not and um which only kind of exacerbates and it, it increases the disparity that we're already seeing right is that you know, I think it would be great if, say, you know, the leading healthcare institutions in Georgia were getting it right. But what does that mean for our brothers and sisters in Tennessee, in Alabama, in South Carolina who don't necessarily have access to these things? One of the awesome things that I've seen come out of this entire pandemic from a healthcare institution point of view is that there has been such a big push towards telemedicine and virtual visits, right? So, you know, just because you might not necessarily be living down the street from a clinic or a doctor or a therapist or a counselor that can treat, um, that can treat you for, you know, any of these physical or mental ailments doesn't mean you can't, you know, get on a phone and talk to someone about it or get on a video chat and talk to someone about it. So I do think that that has been a really nice improvement. And even though it there are still barriers and challenges to that, right? There's still barriers around access and especially with video and broadband internet and all of that, like there, it's not perfect. Um, But I do think pushing out over the past 12 months these healthcare institutions and these platforms to try and connect people who aren't necessarily in the same county, in the same zip code but might be across the country will improve access to care. Um, And, you know, kind of getting at with these policies, we had um, Dr. Meeks in one of the the town halls that uh, you all, that the center hosted, you know, talked about just the unfortunate ramifications of institutional racism, how there are fewer and fewer Black and African-American clinicians and therapists because, you know, medical schools and trainings were shut down And it's really hard, I think, especially around mental health, where there is a stigma across the board, you know, across genders, across race and ethnicities, but, you know, more so in certain subpopulations. If I can't go to someone who looks like me or might have shared experiences, it's going to be harder for me to open up. And it's going to be harder for me to be vulnerable with these patients. And so hopefully, um, we can, as as a larger, broader healthcare community, start making those changes and making sure that our patients are feel represent feel represented when they're coming in and talking to a clinician or a therapist or a social worker at the same time trying to leverage some of these technologies that have come about in the past 12 months to, you know, if the representation and that access isn't down the road, then maybe it's just a click away.
1: Right, and and you know Jennifer, to add to that, part of my journey was working in a, a public uh, community clinic as a social work technician way back in another lifetime, and um, and one of the things that I that was so disturbing to me was the racism that existed among the all white staff. I was the only African American person there as a worker and, and to to the racism that existed, that wasn't, that was un, mostly unconscious. So the poor black people who came for services are getting another dose of what they're struggling against all the time in their lives. And so we, you know, it, this is not to say that white people can't white therapists can't treat black or brown people i'm not saying that but the level of sensitivity has got to be stepped up because otherwise it becomes a of almost a double a double layer of of um adversity that the patient comes in for help to the doctor who is, can't see them clearly because of their own uh racist lens and then you then you're left with you know maybe you would have been better off if you hadn't made that visit
2: No, I I think that's really important. And I think um, not just in the realm of mental health, but, you know, just in the realm of health in general, that there are agencies across the country at different levels, local, regional, federal, who are trying to to address this um, in a multifaceted approach. So, Catherine, to your point, I mean, you know, you were the to go back to the anecdote that you just shared, you know, you were talking about the patient and how, you know, you experienced as a, as a colleague, your other, your white colleagues implicit bias. um, And then how that their implicit bias might impact the patient. But what I heard and what hurt my heart the most is that, you know, your white colleagues implicit bias might have actually pushed you out of that realm altogether, right? Because you felt unsupported. And so it's, it's a matter of also, you know, not just like clinicians and healthcare workers trying to make sure that, you know, we've all got implicit biases. It's just a matter of like, we need to recognize and we need to be mindful of them and work against them, right? To, um, but it's, it's a matter of, you know, not just making sure that those are not impacting the patient, but that they're also not impacting our colleagues. And that we are supporting one another, and that way we can build this broader community. Um, And it doesn't look so one sided in terms of either gender or race or age, right? And we're supporting each other across this, um, across the spectrum.
1: That's right, and there's a lot of work to be done with building some things within the institutions to make sure those conversations are taking place, so that the the, the thing you just mentioned, in Jennifer, the colleague to colleague, of uh, relationship, is a, a more honest and and clear headed, uh, looking at really seeing each other relationship. Because the, it's like that's going to so much impact the quality of the services that are being offered to folks. And so.
2: Yeah. And so, yeah, it it goes. You're right. And it, so it goes kind of the policies need to be in place. Right. Um, but it goes beyond the policies and it goes beyond actually what gets put into practice um, and how we treat everybody on a day to day basis. That's an excellent point, Catherine.
0: Yeah, I love how, um, you know, At first, in our first episode, we talked about the relationship between mental health and uh, physical health, right, from more of an indiv- individual's perspective. Um, but now we're really taking a step back to look at the relationship between mental health and physical health within the healthcare industry, within policy, within the patient's relationship with their physician and the, fish- the physician's relationship with the patient as well as with their colleagues. I think, you know, as we're talking about physical health, we're seeing how important the role of mental wellness. And wellness includes how we live in relationship with one another. Um, And so that can never be underestimated when we're talking about physical health, because we see how that one-on-one discussion in in the waiting room with the doctor, how that truly impacts whether or not a patient will take their advice seriously, whether the patient will leave feeling condemned, feeling like, oh, well, you know, there's no hope for me. You know, based off of that conversation, um, someone's physical health uh, can be impacted. And I think so often we do not uh, perceive that. Um, And so thank you so much for bringing that to light.
1: Yeah. And Chelsea, I just want to say, you know, Maya Angelou has said so rightly that you will mostly go through your life forgetting what people have said to you, but you will never forget how they made you feel. And I think that's so true. I have left the care of doctors because of the way they made me feel because i uh, you know, I'm, I'm taking responsibility for my my health care, and uh, I'm a part of the team, and and I have a a, a a voice here. And if I come to you and you make me feel that I don't have that voice and I am not a part of the team, I don't need to see you again. But it takes so much energy and agency to make that that kind of decision. It's really difficult.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, um, one thing about making that decision is knowing that you can make that decision. And so one of the things I'm so grateful about this conversation, um, one of the reasons why I'm so grateful for this conversation is because it has even given our listeners um Ideas uh, and the ammunition to really advocate for themselves within um, that room as they're getting, you know, their physical checkups or whatever uh, reason brings them to the doctor uh, to be able to really think about and consider what is my relationship with my physician like? How do I feel um, about this physician? Are they, you know, are they being biased? Is there any implicit bias that's there? How do I feel about working with others um, in? in this field as I'm trying to go and be healthier and happier. So, And Chelsea, I do, just to add to that, I, I want people to also
2: understand that um, if for whatever reason they don't feel strong enough, right, they don't, they don't feel mentally well enough at that point in time to advocate for themselves, I want them to be able to feel comfortable enough to reach out to someone that they trust. Um, time and time again, you know, we're more likely to advocate for our friend um, strong, more strongly than we are to advocate for ourselves. Right. And so um, I, I just want people because it, it does take a lot and, you know, I don't want people to think, oh, it should be so easy, you know, to make all of these big healthcare decisions and to be your own advocate. It's hard. It's really hard, especially if you're a patient and you feel like there's this weird power dynamic going on between you and your healthcare provider. I want someone else. I want the, those patients, those individuals to feel like it's okay to reach out to help um, and bring a friend in, bring a family member in. And you know what? They, I bet you they will always be happy to advocate on your behalf.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. And um, I really appreciate that. Well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, we have come to the end of this podcast episode. Thank you so much, Dr. Jennifer Gander, for being here with us two times in a row. I appreciate you. I know Dr. Meeks appreciates you. And I know our listeners have been so enriched by this conversation. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me.
2: It's been wonderful to talk to you and Catherine today about this important topic. So, thank you so much. I was honored to be invited.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, we've been educated about um, the areas of opportunity within healthcare policy, as well as how to advocate for ourselves um, as patients, as well as what to look for uh, as we are as we are dealing with our physicians and. Um, In the healthcare industry. So, thank you so much for keeping our eyes and ears open. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this conversation is ending, but if you still want to learn more, if you still want more resources um, to really enrich your life and to learn more about mental health and racial healing, please visit our website at centerforracialhealing.org. There we have a virtual library um, with a plethora of resources that are sure to help you and educate you and enlighten you. Also, please stay connected with the conversation with us on social media. We are the Center for Racial Healing on Facebook and Instagram. And also follow Dr. Meeks' Facebook page, Dr. Katherine Meeks. I hope that this conversation has helped you. Please make sure you share it with a friend. And until next time, remember to always tell the truth.